Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're here in the room or you're joining us online, we're really glad you are worshiping with us today and appreciate your flexibility over these last few weeks. I guess over these last nine months, I suppose, is just kind of plans just continue to change. And if just the weirdness of all the pandemic stuff wasn't enough, you know, then you got yeah, throw some potential wintry weather in there and uh, just we've kind of made this decision. I don't know if you know this. We just kind of made a decision that for just kind of for the mental health and just kind of knowing so that our, 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 all the people that have to be here really early, like our band and our tech, made a decision that we're going to make a decision that before we go to bed on Saturday. And so that's just kind of a, a thing that we do. And our kind of default is to go to just one service. And so you can just kind of know that. And again, just appreciate your flexibility. As always, just be monitoring Facebook and, um, and your email for more information about that. And I know this is an announcement time, but as, as I've kind of just kind of got you here, um, Mark mentioned this about Christmas Eve. It's coming up real soon, and it is one of the, if not one of the most, maybe the most significant worship services we do. If you've ever been a part of it, it's great. It's awesome. And we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that this happens. And so we've moved it outdoors, and we've got some plans, a lot of good safety precautions in place to keep people distanced, but to still have that same powerful energy of just kind of celebrating and launching us into Christmas, uh, celebrating the birth and the coming of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, as long as it's not heavy rain and we're going to figure it out. Um, one, of the, one of our lines is like, well, what if it's cold? It's like, man, we bundle up all the time to go spend four hours at Silver Dollar City to see the giant tree, right? You can come out here for 50 minutes and have one of the best worship experiences you'll have all year. So we're looking at five o'clock on Christmas Eve and excited about you being a part of that. We are now in week two of our series where we're just kind of talking about the Christmas story, but really kind of looking at it more from just kind of this big picture story. And we, we, we talked about last week that there's these three different kind of movements to a really good story. You kind of have the setup where you kind of figure out what's going on, who everyone is. Then you have the confrontation where, 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 where you, you think you know this good thing's going to happen or you want something good to happen for the main characters, but then things kind of fall apart. There's some sort of problem, this sort of conflict, and then it gets resolved. And so in our setup last week, we kind of get introduced to this girl, Mary. And this girl, Mary, she is an incredibly insignificant person. She comes from a town of, of no importance. She's a young, unmarried girl, and in that culture meant she did not have much importance, even in an unimportant town. And so God has chosen this lowliest, this lowest of characters, even though she is, I mean, she, she is, God, God refers to her as being great and having great character and being a great person, but in her status, she wasn't much. And God chose her because of her heart. And again, I believe chose her in part because um, she was insignificant. God is intentionally, we talked about this a lot last week, he is intentionally choosing the insignificant. He's in, intentionally choosing people who are humble, people who are low, people who don't have a whole lot to be able to say, well, this is what makes me great. He's choosing the not great to do great things. And so we have this story, we have this set up for a story where an insignificant girl is picked 
for something big. And we know this story. We know a lot of stories like this. Not just take, take the Bible out of it. We know, we know this story, right? Cinderella, right? I mean, this, 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 this is Cinderella, right? This is Cinderella, right? The, 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 the lowliest of, of, of women. She was essentially a slave in her own home to her stepmom and her stepsisters. Um, she's not considered significant enough to be able to go to the royal ball. Well, all unmarried ladies were supposed to be able to go. Not even significant enough to go. Prohibited from going. But somehow she makes it. And somehow she is picked by the prince but has to run away. And then something is going to happen, and then it's going to get resolved. So we've seen this set up before. I referenced this at least in one of the services yesterday. We've seen other, the princess diaries, right? This insignificant, hey, turns out you're a princess. And then there's conflict, and then something happens. The devil wears Prada. This insignificant girl gets, gets put into... Uh, this 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 high charged environment for her to be the assistant of this great um, fashion magazine uh, director, and then there's conflict, and then it gets resolved. I mean, I could do this all day. Pretty woman, we can add that one too. I mean, there's 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 all of these. We know this story. Someone of a very low status is picked to do and become something great, but something always happens. It wouldn't be a story if nothing happened, and this person was picked to do this great thing, and then they did it. I mean, that's cool, but it's not a story. How is this story going to play out? And I think there's a sense in which, well, this is a Bible story with Bible characters, and God's involved, and so it, it's, 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 it's going to be different. Because when, when, when God's involved, bad things don't happen to people. You don't have the bad part like with Cinderella or, 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 or these other things where there's people against him. If God's on your team, then nothing bad can happen to the person that God has chosen. At least that's the really weird idea that we have in our brain. But what does happen? So let's just kind of continue on as we go to what we'll call the confrontation. This is the confrontation where we're going to find out kind of what happens to Mary. And we'll start in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. So she is just told, she's just been told by the angel what's going to happen. And she says, do with me, do with your servant as you wish. And she says she's totally on board with this thing that God's trying to do. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Let's pause here to make sure we know what's going on. In the first part of Luke chapter 1, an angel visits uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah as well, and these are uh, distant cousins to Mary. And um, this, she has been barren her whole life, and God says, I'm going to give you a child even though you believe that you, you can't. And this is going to be the one who is kind of going to act as a prophet to let everybody know that the Son of God is coming. And so they ultimately become the parents of John the Baptist. And if you remember in last week's story, the angel tells this to Mary. He's like, God's doing this miraculous thing in you. He's also done this miraculous thing in your cousin Elizabeth. 
And so what we have here at the very, it says the very next thing that she does, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So the first, at least in the story, the first thing that she does is to leave her home and to go be with her cousin. Now there's a couple of things that I want us to notice about that. Um, It's an odd thing for a young unmarried girl who just found out she's pregnant um, for her to go do. She's not with her mom. She's not with her dad. She's not with her fiance. She goes to live and to spend a significant amount of time with uh, this cousin, which you think, like, again, in the flow of the story, you, like, you, part of you wants to think, well, that's just really nice. That's really sweet. You know, God did this for her. God did this for Elizabeth. And they're going to spend this time together. But I think there's, there's like, a little, like a, a little flag that's being waved here. Perhaps, perhaps the news that their unmarried daughter is now pregnant, perhaps this news is not going well in her immediate family. You think, Charlie, you're reading into that. Sure, maybe I am. But by the time we get to Luke chapter 2, you'll be like, I think maybe he knew what he was talking about. But for right now, let's just kind of set that aside because what she did do, and this was a very awesome thing for her to do, she went to the person who she knew for sure would get it. There is a strong likelihood, and again, we'll see it more clearly in Luke chapter 2. There is a strong likelihood that there has been a lot of chaos and controversy about the unmarried teenage daughter turning up pregnant. You can tell your stories about angels all you want. You can talk about immaculate conceptions and the Holy Spirit did this. You can say that all you want. But I'm telling you, this is small town Israel. And she turned up pregnant. And, there, and again, let's not judge them because there's only one way you turn up pregnant. And it doesn't have anything to do with angels and the Holy Spirit and placing babies in wombs. It's just not. And so she goes to this place. She goes to where she knows someone will understand. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. We know from Matthew that Joseph's initial reaction was what you'd expect it would be. It's not in this particular story, so that's why I'm trying to stick right here. And again, I think the fact that she almost immediately leaves home to go live with somebody else kind of, again, foreshadows this. You know, she, she, she's, she's feeling alone. She's feeling uncertain. She's, she's got all these things going on, and she goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth does this great thing. This is so awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Even my baby's excited that you're here. You are incredibly blessed among women. And she gets all of this encouragement and all this joy. This thing that God is doing in you is amazing. You're amazing. I'm so excited just to be with you. 
And so Mary, in this journey, the first thing that we see is that she's not alone. Mary's not alone. She's not alone. God has called her to do something. God has picked her out of a crowd and said, I'm going to do something that's never been done before, and I'm going to do it in and through you. And that can feel like a lonely thing. I mean, and I would imagine that for the first week, few weeks or whatever, it felt really alone, but she was not alone. She had Elizabeth with her who got it, who understood, who stood there next to her and said, this is nothing but awesome. And so in our story, we know who this is, right? It's the sidekick. It's the fun sidekick who brings just a little bit of support and encouragement to our main character. She's the best, she's the best friend. She's the one, she, you know, maybe she's, she's a little bit funny. She's a little bit quirky. And she just kind of makes the main character feel good, right? It's Devil Wars Prada. It's the stylist guy who gave, who gave her all the clothes. In Cinderella, it's the greatest character of all time. Gus Gus the Mouse. People have asked me, it's like, Charlie, if you were to ever get a tattoo, what would it be? And as serious as I can be, I say, I would put Gus Gus the Mouse right here on this shoulder. Because can you imagine, you're like, Charlie, do you have a tattoo? He's like, yeah, I sure do. He's like, can I see it? And I whop that thing up right there, and there's Gus Gus the Mouse right there. That would just be epic. The look on your face would be worth it. I'm not going to get a tattoo, but that's what it would be. <laughs> By the way, on a, on, a, on a completely different note too, if you're ever wanting, if you ever find yourself at Disney World, and you're wanting, like you're watching the parade, and you're wanting a character to notice you, don't yell at the main characters. Everybody's yelling to try to get their attention. But I promise you, if you yell, Gus, Gus, you're my best friend, or, this is one of the stepsisters, Drizella, I love you. I promise you, the person who is playing that character is like, what on earth? And then you got them. It's me. And they're like, freak. But you got the character interaction that you're looking for. Hey, right there. Um, in Pretty Woman, it's the concierge guy. The one who finally is able to help her buy the appropriate clothes. The one who, even though all of these things seem to be going against you, you've got this person or mouse, who is right there with you. <laughs> My word. Make a note to recruit different slide people. <laughs> um. <laughs> and here's the thing. This is why it's really, really, really important in this story that Mary was insignificant. Because there's going to come a point in this story where I'm going to want to try to get you to identify with Mary. That God has looked at you specifically and says, I've got something unique that I'm wanting to do in and through your life. It's a big world out there and there's a lot of need and there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of hopelessness and, and, and I'm looking at you specifically to do this thing for me. And if I say that to you, if I say God wants to do something big in and through your life, your immediate reaction is, he cannot possibly be talking to me. I'm too ordinary, I'm too insignificant. But in, 
in this world, it, it would be almost impossible for you to be more insignificant from the way the world looks at things than this, than this teenage girl was. God chose her, and I think in part he's communicating because he's like, I can also choose you. Well, I don't have the, 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 the talent, the, the, the influence, the, the power, the whatever, the whatever that Mary had. You can't say that. And God did one of the greatest things through, that he did through a person. He did it through her. And God wants to do something amazing in your life and through your life as well to bring, to bring, like Mary was, she was a carrier of hope for the world. He wants you to do the same thing. You cannot object to this because I'm too, I'm too insignificant. But also you may have this fear that you're going to be alone and God will never let you be alone. This is why God has given us each other. This is why we put postcards there on the back of all the people from our church who are serving in missions all over the U.S. and all over the world. We don't want them to be alone. And this is why when, when you say, I'm, I'm going to lead a small group or I'm going to try to get to some, some of my friends who, who are disconnected from God, I'm going to try to get them to come to church. I want to talk to Jesus about them. I want to try to bring reconciliation in my family. I, I want to I, I bring hope to the poor. I want to I I do something to, to help people who are struggling with homelessness or I want to love and support the awesome foster care families in, in, in our church and in our community. These are the things I want to do. I want to do this. You're not ever going to be alone. God has given us each other. And I say that in part because as God is kind of tapping you on the shoulder and you think it can't, he can't, he is. Don't say that he's not because he is. And also know that we are going to be there for you. And as you see God doing really cool things, like someone who wants to organize a way that we can love and bless our foster care families, let them know that they're not alone and support that. When you hear about awesome people in our church who are serving God in ministry capacities all over the world, go take one of their cards and pray for them. Let them know, send them a note, let them know they're not alone. Because someday that's going to be you, that God's going to put something on you and ask you to do something, and you're going to not want to be alone. So let's go out of our way to be Elizabeths for people. And to say that when God calls one of us, we're going to make sure that, that, we, that they know that they're not alone. Because there will come a time, and that time is coming, and the time is probably a lot sooner than you think. That God is kind of whispering in your ear, I've got a way that I want you to bring hope to this world. And Mary was not alone in this. Let's let no one in this church who is doing something amazing for God, let's let no one in this church be alone. And our commitment is the same to you. You will not be alone. So she goes and she gets this incredible moment of just kind of encouragement from Elizabeth. And we don't know how long she was there. We're just kind of filling in the gaps. But in the process of this story, again, 
The next thing that happens is in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and this is kind of where we get to what most of us would call the Christmas story. But again, this, this is just kind of where it's getting to that confrontation, that conflict part. This, all this part we look at is kind of this setup part. And now we get to the Christmas story as we generally tell it. And I think it's important for us to kind of understand the flow of what Luke is trying to communicate to us, what God is trying to communicate to us, the flow of the story, to know all of this that's happened, the way that Mary was called, who Mary was, and, 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 and what the angel said to her, and this, this moment that she has with Elizabeth. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire, world, entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Okay. Blah blah blah, right? We just kind of just kind of get to the get to the part. There's a lot of like gut punch there. I mean, here she here she is again, an unmarried young lady who is pregnant. She is her life has been full of whispers and scandal over the last few months. A lot of uncertainty. What? Who? Uh, she's not. She she and Joseph aren't even. Married yet, and and he's he's still with her. I guess I guess I guess Joseph was was in on this, I suppose. But why hasn't he gone ahead and married her? I mean, there's just all this whispers and and all of this problem, all of this judgment, all of this hurt that has come on her. And now here she is. You know, let's 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 just say at least five or six months pregnant. Hey, uh, guess what now what we have to do? We're going to have to pack up and load up and go to this other town to register for this census that the Roman oppressors have told us we have to do. You're like, why can't I just register here? It's like, I don't know. Like you got, we all have to go back to our hometown, and my hometown is Bethlehem, we've got to go. And so now here she is, several months pregnant, loading up to go to another town. You're like, oh, that's not that big a deal. I'm like, what year is this, guys? You know, this is not pleasant travel that she is having to do. And I can only imagine that this is just like, it's just one more thing. It's just one more thing. Like, I'm just, I'm finally getting into a groove here. I just want to have my, I just want to have my babies. Like, no, we got to pack this whole thing up and we've got to go to Bethlehem. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. We are too familiar, and and just we just we we are too familiar with this story to really grasp what's happening. You've seen too many nativity scenes; they're just too cute. Everybody's always glowing in them. The baby's glowing. The hay is perfect. 
the cow is sitting there so nicely and the sheep is so nice and everything's good and sweet and nice and it makes such a cute little nativity set that it's just a cute part of the story. And this is again kind of what I was saying with like her going to Elizabeth and like there's, there's a lot of negativity and now she's having to go here. There's a lot of, how do you know? Let's just think about this for a second. One of two things is true. Joseph is going to his hometown of Bethlehem. So either his whole family left Bethlehem and are now having to come back and register, or most of his family or a lot of his family is in Bethlehem, and, and Joseph and his family, maybe a few other people, are having to go here. Now let's just think about this for a second. You're having to go to your hometown where you have family there. You have family friends there. And now everybody's having to come here, and it's a little bit overloaded. We've kind of only got... We got more people here than we normally do in a little small Bethlehem. We got all these people. How are we going to figure out where everybody gets to sleep? Who gets the first bed? This is the, the, the grandmas, the grandpas, right? I mean, okay, let's, let's just go there first. The, the people who are really, who's, who's next? The pregnant woman. She's next. There was no guest room available for them. There's no indication here in this story, like the way that you tell it, it's like, it's like eight months, three weeks, like she's just exploding on this donkey and they kind of get there and it just kind of just happens, right? Like it just, there's no indication of how long this was. It just says she was pregnant and they went to Bethlehem to register and however long they were there, a week, a month, two months. By the time it got to due date time, she is just ready to pop. She is still sleeping in the barn. Oh, maybe the, little, the, the children's song. No room, no, maybe the song is in the end of Bethlehem. Like, we just kind of make it like this, oh man, like the hotel was full. Like, Bethlehem did not have hotels. It's not, it's not hotels. This is people would not give her a bed, a room, a spot on the floor in the house. I guess you can sleep in the barn. So the question is, how do you think Joseph's family felt about the scandal surrounding Joseph and Mary? Sleep in the barn. So Mary's not alone, even though sometimes she may feel like she is. I mean, she's surrounded by nothing but evil stepsisters. Nothing but evil stepmothers. People who don't get it, who are trying to keep her. Not, no, no, no. Just hurt and oppression and judgment. To the point to where she has to give birth in a town she didn't want to have to go to. And a place you would never want to give birth. And we get this thing in our head. Man, but this is a Bible story. This is a Bible story. This is not, how, this is not what happens in Bible stories. God picks you to do something and then good things happen. I don't know why it is any of us think that. That if God is with me, everything's going to be great. You get that in your head. And if something bad happens, you begin to think, 
God, why, where did you go? And I was like, have, have any of us really read the Bible? Moses, I'm going to choose you to deliver your people Israel. Go to, go to Pharaoh and tell him. That was a hard few months for Moses. Pharaoh was being a jerk to him. The people didn't believe him, didn't trust him. David, you're going to be the king. Well, the current king is going to chase you and try to murder you for years. There's always this moment. The amount of time that the Apostle Paul spent in prison. He describes the number of times he was, he was stoned and whipped. We get it in our head that somehow that if God chooses us, we're not ever going to have any problems. He promised you you would never be alone. But if the story tells us anything, is that there's going to be problems. It's going to feel like this is more than I can handle. Because if it's of any great significance, there's going to be opposition. If it's of any great significance, it's going to be difficult. And God is calling you to do things of great significance. And so we anticipate this. So Mary really only has one option. And it is the option I offer to you. Just keep going. Now we enter the Finding Nemo portion of the song. Just, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. A very stubborn little fish, a very discouraged one, and this goal that he had to find his son. And the naive sidekick. Just keep going. Just keep going. So again, let us be the naive sidekicks for each other. And let us, no matter what we have challenged that we have before us. I mean, as I sit here and I'm just looking around the room and I, and I look and I think of the awesome families that have brought foster, foster kids into their home, who have, who have adopted kids from difficult circumstances. I look around the room and I think there has to have been times you think this was a bad idea. Just keep going. There's some of you here in the room and online who have been called to do great things for God overseas and missions work and there's lots of discouragement and obstacles in the way. Just keep going. You're just trying to bring hope and reconciliation to a family that is ex exploding. My, 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 my marriage, my, my friends, my... My job, my, my finances, this stupid pandemic. It, it just seems like that everything is an obstacle to this thing, this life that I feel like God is calling me to have these things that he's wanting me to do. Just keep going. You are not alone. Do not shake your fists. Do not question. Do not wonder about God. Of course it's hard. What you're doing matters. If it were easy, everyone would do it. If it were insignificant, no one would care. But what you're being called to do by God, it is significant and it is difficult. Just keep going. 
whether you're just trying to bring peace in your family, to overcome sin and addiction, to bring hope to a part of the world, just keep going. You are not alone. God is with you. We will be with you. And so let us, let us listen to what God has to say. I see us tapping you on the shoulder and saying, there's something I want you to do. There's a person that I want you to be. There's a place in this world that I want you to bring hope. Let's listen, obey, encourage each other, and just keep going. Let's pray.